This is Home on the Dot. I'm Chris McMorrin. On 17 December 2020, at the end of this otherwise depressing year, Singapore received some welcome news. Singapore's hawker culture was added to the UNESCO representative list of the intangible cultural heritage of humanity. That's quite a mouthful. This new global level of recognition by UNESCO should mean more support of Singapore's hawkers to both honor their past and help them continue into the future. Home on the Dot listeners may recall that we did an episode on Hawker Centers back in 2018 in Season 1. In that episode, called A Nation's Dining Room, Rauda shared her relationship with Hawker Centers, and she interviewed some young hawkerpreneurs carrying on the hawker trade through innovative recipes and methods. In honor of recognition by UNESCO, we're going to run that episode again this week. But before we do that, I wanted to share the reaction of one of my colleagues at the National University of Singapore. Dr. Hamza Muzaini is assistant professor in the Department of Southeast Asian Studies. He's a cultural and historical geographer and an expert on questions of heritage, memory, and remembrance, particularly in Singapore. So he's the perfect person to turn to to help better understand what this UNESCO designation means and what it overlooks. Hamza, thank you for joining me today. It's great to see you. So uh, I want to hear, what's your initial reaction to this news from UNESCO? Um, Well, I think that uh, as a Singaporean, I'm proud, of course, that uh, we get this kind of global recognition because I think in in some ways, this kind of designation would also help in terms of preserving uh, what we have, right? So uh, hopefully with such a recognition, you can actually get uh, more support for the very thing that we're trying to preserve here. So in that sense, I think uh, it is helpful. And I think, of course, the people who are actually uh, involved in this designation would also be very happy uh, that whatever that they're doing all this time is actually being recognized, uh, not only by Singaporeans, but also by the world at large. In a Facebook post, you mentioned two aspects in particular about hawkers' culture that are missing from this UNESCO designation. The first is that hawking food has a long history that actually began with selling food on roadsides instead of the purpose-built kind of permanent centers that exist today. Can you tell me more about that? Uh, When we think about um, the hawker culture in Singapore, uh, we sometimes do tend to have a certain idea of what hawker culture is. Uh, And and we forget that um, that particular cultural product has actually evolved over time. Now, when we talk about hawker culture in Singapore, in the past, um, there used to be um, a different kind of hawker culture where people were just selling food on the street. Uh, and in some ways, um, the hawker culture that UNESCO has actually um, recognized today uh, may be said to be the very thing that destroyed that particular earlier um, iteration of, um, of what hawker culture is in Singapore. Um, so I hope that even as we are happy remembering hawker culture as it is today, that we will not forget what it was like before and how it became the whole culture that, uh, that we are all so proud of um, in Singapore today. The other point you brought up in your Facebook post that I think really gets overlooked is that although this UNESCO designation is about hawker culture and food, hawking actually involves so much more than that. Yeah. Okay. Well, firstly, um, the hawker culture is not just about food. I mean, the first uh, 
uh, implication of that is uh, that we need to focus on the word culture here, right? So when you talk about culture, we're not just talking about the food, but we're also talking about the way in which people eat, um, the way in which people produce food. So we're talking about the stories of these hawkers, how they became hawkers in the first place, uh, and also the different kinds of um, you know, somewhat eccentric ways in which Singaporeans actually um, you know, encountered their food at the hawker centre. So all these things are important, right? Because they do sort of like um, are the very tangible elements that give rise to this idea that our hawker centre culture is, or our hawker culture is something that's important for us to preserve. So it really gives rise to this whole discourse of multiracialism, um, discourse of community, uh, social gatherings, so on and so forth. But the other um, um, implication of the statement that uh, hawker culture is not just about food is that we do tend to associate hawking with just food here. But we should not forget the fact that hawking can also be of other things, right? So in Singapore, you do have people who actually hawk antiques or second-hand goods. Uh, you could actually have people who are hawking services uh, on the streets. Um, and, and all these things also then becomes very important for us to consider as part of our everyday heritage. Um, and, uh, and when you think about hawker culture, uh, we should also keep in mind that uh, even as the UNESCO designation uh, has allowed us to, in some ways, preserve our eating culture, um, there are other kinds of hawking um, cultures in Singapore that needs support as well. Right. So in a way, the UNESCO idea or what it's recognizing as far as hawker culture is concerned is very broad because it's not just the food. It's also the food ways. It's the apprenticeships. It's the ways that food is eaten in an outdoor shared setting. It's the setting up of stalls of multiple um, uh, national, I guess, cuisine origins in one space. But at the same time, it's narrow in that it doesn't include the hawking of, um, of shoe fixers, um, of, of flower sellers, and other things like that. Is that what you're saying? Yes, exactly. So I think, I think, I think all these other different kinds of hawking cultures should also be uh, given uh, not only just attention, but also support. Oh, that's really interesting. Okay, what's your favorite Hawker Center, and what's your go-to dish? Well, I'm a, I'm a regular patron of um, Hawker Centers, eh? so it is uh, my, my, my go-to place uh, almost every morning where I can get my prata uh, and uh, the bustle of, of, of the Hawker Centers. Um, it doesn't really matter which Hawker Center it is. Uh, it just does give me that sense of being uh, a Singaporean. So if you had a visitor from overseas who came and you, you had only one evening to take them somewhere, and to order them one dish, what would it be? <laughs> um, good question. Um, I think that for visitors coming to Singapore for the first time, especially from the West, they would find a visit to any hawker centre either a feast or a shock to their senses, perhaps even both. Uh, but I would probably take them to Newton Food Centre because many of them would have watched Crazy Rich Asians and the hawker scene in it that was uh, filmed at Newton. Uh, so they may want to experience firsthand what they were only able to see visually on the screen. I think that would be really uh, interesting for them. Right. That's the Hawker Center featured as soon as Rachel and Nick arrive in Singapore. Right. Straight from the airport. Okay, final question. 
Earlier you mentioned that you visit a hawker center almost daily. Do you have a favorite stall or an uncle or an auntie you see regularly? Oh yes, definitely. Um, when I go down to uh, my local hawker center, um, I would always uh, go to the same shop to get my prata and I don't even have to say anything. She basically just sees my face uh, and then just puts it together and then give it to me uh, straight. So, so it, it's kind of nice to have that kind of familiarity uh, within the hawker center where you know, um, they, they, they actually know me. So comfortable. An extension of home. All right. Well, well uh, Hamza, thanks so much for taking your time today. I really appreciate it during this break in, in, in this otherwise very strange year of 2020 uh, to share your thoughts on uh, UNESCO's recent listing of, uh, of uh, Singapore's hawker culture on its list of intangible cultural heritage. Um, you're really the expert on this, so thanks for sharing with us. It's my pleasure. Thanks a lot, Chris. And now, here's our Hawker Culture episode from 2018. Doors are closing. A few weeks ago, I rode across the country for a $5 plate of rice. That might sound insane to someone unfamiliar with Singapore, but the trip took less than an hour by train. Plus, it's practically a national pastime to travel far and wide to a public food center, or hawker, that serves the best roti prata, chicken rice, or fishball soup with noodles. Hawker centers are chaotic, noisy, visually stimulating open-air food courts. Customers and stall owners shout orders in different languages, and everyone struggles to be heard over the cacophony of clanging dishes, squeaky fans, dinging bells, and squawking birds. Each stall is unique, with owners specializing in only a handful of dishes, often family recipes passed down through the generations. The stalls are tiny workplaces, with two and sometimes three people squeezed into a few square feet of windowless space. They twirl around each other in an elegant dance, taking orders, making change, tossing ingredients into a wok, and serving freshly cooked meals in a matter of minutes. The owner works before your eyes, laboring in the heat to get the flavor just right, with the sole aim of satisfying you and the dozen people queuing behind you, day in, and day out. On this particular day, Rada, an NUS student, invited me to one of her favorites, the Bidok Food Center. Although she doesn't live nearby, she told me she's a regular, and the place is so familiar, it feels like home. I'm Chris McMorrin, a professor at the National University of Singapore, and you're listening to Home on the Dot, this podcast explores the power and meanings of home in today's world, all through the stories and lives of my students. So much of everyday life occurs out in public at these food courts that at times they feel like the nation's dining room. In this episode, Rada explores what the Hawker Center means to Singapore and Singaporeans and how that is changing. Stay tuned. It's Sunday afternoon and I'm off to visit my grandparents. I look forward to seeing them every few weeks. 
But before we get there, we need to eat lunch. Luckily, they live near one of my family's favourite food spots, the Bedok Food Centre. As I approach, the hawker beams at me. I'm a familiar face and he already knows my order. This hawker centre isn't near where I live. It's always bustling, noisy, crowded and sometimes downright uncomfortable for someone who prefers the solitude of her room. Yet, it feels like home to me. There is something about the familiarity of the flavours and the faces that draws me back and gives me comfort. Singapore is famous for its diversity of food and people. Hawker centres serve this diversity on a plate. During my short visit to Bedok Food Centre, I had a cup of sugarcane juice from a Chinese stall, a plate of nasi goreng pattaya from an Indian stall, and a few pieces of pisang goreng, or fried banana, from a Malay stall. With each stall selling different ethnic cuisine and occupying an equal amount of space, it seems to represent not only the diversity of races in Singapore, but also the harmony of these races living together. Geographer David Morley once wrote that, quote, a sense of national belonging is often inscribed in the taken-for-granted practices of everyday life, unquote. This kind of national belonging contrasts the more serious symbols and monuments of the nation, like war memorials, national anthems and flags. For young people like me, everyday activities like riding the MRT and eating at hawker centres are just as important in connecting me to the nation. Singaporeans living overseas often yearn for their hawker favourites. The government acknowledges this. Every year, it reaches out to some of the thousands of Singaporeans living overseas through Singapore Day. Here's Minister Teo Chee Hien talking about the importance of Singapore Day overseas and celebrating the Singaporean identity in 2017 from a YouTube video. So we have Singaporeans all over the world and we gather them together so that we can celebrate all that's Singaporean. This celebration held in foreign cities like New York, London and Beijing features Singaporean celebrities as well as comfort food found in hawker centres. In fact, the government flies in some of the country's most celebrated hawkers to feed the crowds. I think it's uh, interacting with other Singaporeans and obviously, you know, trying out the food that we missed. In recent years, the hawker trade has been seen as heritage worth preserving. In fact, several TV programmes with titles like Buzzing Hawkers are shedding light on the life of hawkers and documenting their passion. However, as incomes and education levels continue to rise in Singapore, the hawker trade is under threat of extinction. By all accounts, it's a tough job. Who wants to wake at 4 every morning and spend the day standing over an open flame in a cramped space, especially when you could work in an air-conditioned office? In fact, some young people do. The hawker trade isn't going to die out just yet. Meet Joey, a third-year global studies major who sees the value of the hawker trade. 
we chatted over a cup of iced Milo after school. He told me how he got interested in the food business. Right. Um, I always grew up uh, cooking at home mm-hmm. uh, with my mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a way uh, for me to escape uh, having to do my studies. Uh, I figured out if I didn't help my mom, it would give her the space to nag at me and uh, ask me about my work. But if I chose to help her with, with cooking, uh, she stopped asking me once I started helping. So that I helped her a lot in the kitchen. Yeah. That's <laughs> so that that. And that got me interested in, in cooking, and I realized um, that was about... And then uh, people in my family started to pass away. Uh, and then I started to think to myself, what is... Uh, my mother would one day pass away as well. So I said, what, what are the memories that I would cherish most with her uh, after she passes away? I, I would say it's the memories we spent cooking together. I mean, there were some times where, I mean, she would cook in a certain way that I didn't like or you know, I would do things that she wouldn't like. We would get into argument about food. But at the end of the day, uh, that was where I feel our bond uh, really developed in the kitchen. His passion for cooking motivated him to work in a professional kitchen which sells Pranakan cuisine. However, he was drawn into the hawker trade by his friends who run a stall at Maxwell Food Centre located in downtown Singapore. The primary reason why I stayed was because I wanted to uh, challenge this you know, um, this bias that I think society has on, on hawkers, uh, the idea of hawker. Yes, it's true that it's, it's, it's grimy, it's hot and stuff, but, you know, the only people from, like, the lower socioeconomic uh, classes would be participating in this. To me, I thought that was very strange because I know that, I mean, after being there for three months, I know that some people make a lot of money, uh, way more than people who are working white-collar jobs. So that, to me, got me thinking about, you know, what some people say in society or what the adults say at that time may not always or may not necessarily be true. You know, that's why I chose to pursue, um, you know, uh, this kind of this line of work, at least for now. Yeah. I think this is the beautiful part of, uh, uh, of working in a hawker. You get to meet and know your, your customers, you know, um, and then from there you adapt or, you know, you just see their feedback. I asked Joey about how hawker centres are different from restaurants. I feel like um, the camaraderie is much stronger maybe in a hawker centre because, you know, it's a small space. Like, can you imagine working in uh, Maxwell? But there was one point where, like, there's four people inside, me and three others. Me, my, my two friends, and maybe another auntie. In that small space, we can barely move, but that, it's, that, it's that time, you know, it's so hot, so grimy, but everyone's just, just, just grinding in that place, you know, and just trying to make our customers happy. Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, these are, like, the main differences. You know, restaurants have their signature dishes and all. Hawker centres, they specialise by, on the level of the dish. You know, so to me, the hawker centre is beautiful because you, to me, it's just a, 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 a what do you call it? Like an aggregation or like a, a, what do you call it? You know, you just gather all the experts uh, or specialists in certain dishes um, in one small area and the kind of variety that is available to to them uh, at this space, I think it's just, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's beautiful and it's quite unique to us. Yeah. Joey explained to me that the hawker tradition is also not fading away as we would think. In fact, he explained that there could be a new phenomenon shaping the hawker trade instead. I won't say that a hawker tradition is something that can easily disappear. Of course, uh, you know, there's this, there's this uh, problem where, or there's this worry that, that old hawkers 
are not being replaced at a sustainable rate. Uh, but at the same time, I think there are people like myself and, you know, there's this whole new wave of hawkerpreneurs, like the new newspaper likes to, uh, you know, highlight these people. Um, instead of say, yes, yes, it's true that the old hawkers will be disappearing, like how old nurses will disappear and old anything will disappear. Um, there will be uh, a new wave of hawkers and like hawkerpreneurs, if you want to call them that way, um, yeah, who will see the opportunity who cannot afford uh, the expensive rent or the kind of service uh, that, you know, that restaurants uh, need to cater. And, you know, they might have a brilliant uh, idea. And this is also low capital investments. Young people like Joey are turning to the hawker trade because it provides the opportunity to pursue their passion for cooking without the huge capital needed for a restaurant. The same physical limitations that make the hawker stall a cramped space to work also make it affordable. Because of their youth, many observers refer to such young hawkerpreneurs as hipster hawkers. In some cases, entire hawker centres have developed to highlight the experimental cuisines in a trendy environment. Timber Plus is one such example. It is a food centre which melts local, fusion and international cuisines. It is a stunning sight, shipping containers covered in graffiti, stacked erratically. In place of traditional food stalls are food trucks parked inside the centre itself. While Joey chose a traditional hawker centre, other young people pursued their passion in newer places like Timber Plus. This hints at a complicated interaction between young and old hawkers and new and old hawker centres. Associate Professor Powell is with the Department of Geography at NUS. He explains that Joey is just one kind of young hipster hawker changing Singapore's food landscape. Yeah. I think we need to, um, again, make some distinction. So we could be talking about a regular hawker centre, right? Uh, and then there are certain stalls which are taken over by young entrepreneur hawkers. So in that sense, uh, you know, you're talking about the... the uh, in, insertion of these kinds of hipsters, uh, hawkers into a regular, uh, even an old hawker center, right? Then you are, you are then there are old, of course, you know, brand new hawker centers that are built, uh, that has been kind of classified at least, you know, even by the the Straits Times or the popular media as hipster hawker centers, right? So the the one that you mentioned, the, the fairground in in Pasiris, for example, right? Uh, so it's different because. Um, the, the, the first one where you're talking about, you know, uh, hipster hawkers entering into a old, uh, well-established hawker centre, right? So they might be, you know, infusing new kinds of cuisine or even giving, giving all these old hawker centres a new lease of life. So that's on, so in a sense, if you're talking about, you know, from a consumer's point of view, that's good, right? Because it sort of adds diversity, adds variety. But um, there's also a, a worry that some of these um, sort of uh, young, sometimes mid-career kind of entrepreneur hawkers might actually drive up the rental because they are usually um, um, prepared to pay a little bit more. Sean and Chasin of Joey's friends work at Timber Plus where they have transformed local classics into something completely new. 
their laksa is no longer a bowl of noodles in spicy coconut broth like you find at a traditional food centre like Maxwell, where Joey works. Instead, it is a cube of layered ingredients that could fit in the palm of your hand. Uh, okay, hi, my name is Sean. <laughs> hi, Sean. Uh, hi. <laughs> curry owner of Nelly uh, and Lin, and as well as uh, Food and Anthony. Mm. So I handle kitchen operations. Our main core business will be uh, salad as well as some uh, food cubes mm-hmm. that we uh, design local delights into cakes size, cubes shape and a serve on. I see. How are you? Uh, just see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same as Sean uh, operate. We both operate uh, Delhi and Dane and Anthony together. So for the food cubes that we are doing, it's more on the line of design. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's created in a way that they have different colours, different aspects of uh, of the original dish in a cube itself. I see, I see. You both had experience working in the Maxwell Food Centre, right? Yeah. yeah. How would you compare it to working here in Timber Plus? Maxwell is a very tough place to be in <laughs> because of the... Uh, <laughs> Environment. Mm. Very, very hot. Uh, not only hot but humid, even like under the sheets. So, the very long hours when we first started as well. Uh, we didn't get any help when we first started. So, just the two of us doing seven day shift all the way from 7 am to 10 pm every day without fail. Wow. <laughs> then, yeah, that's where after that Joey came in to help us. Mm. According to Sean and Chasin, their customer base is also quite different in Timber Plus compared to at Maxwell Food Centre. Customers are willing to spend more at Timber Plus since the place consists mostly of unique startups like Food Anatomy. Do you prefer to work in Maxwell or to work here? Well, of course, here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Why? I mean, uh, if you say potential in uh, business, Maxwell, I think it reaches the maximum. maximum. The, for this place, there's uh, still room to grow. Mm. And what else? Uh, I think room to grow not only in terms of like uh, business sales, but also as a team. Mm. So the mm. space is much bigger, so there's a lot of things we can try search and uh, develop so you also build like the small family over here with the staff the staff yeah like, Maxwell is like a small little store like we can only squeeze in two to three people mm. at any time so that's the max we can do yeah. Yeah. are you all like the only young hawkers at Maxwell last time uh. used, used, used to, to be yeah, <laughs> I think slowly the trend the trend is starting at a lot of uh, youngsters are doing like starting a business in as well. oh. How about here? Here, they are all youngsters. <laughs> really? Yeah, all youngsters, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. But uh, for Justin, she started at the age of 21. Uh. How old are you now? I'm 27 this year. After six, six years? Six, yeah. yeah. So last night is considered youngest. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> now it's not, yeah. Why do you think more youngsters are taking it up now? Uh, I think more of the media right now. Yeah, like a lot of like chef shows like food stuff is it stuff or truck? Uh, food truck food truck all these kind of like 
uh, advertisement that make youngster want to become an owner, want to become a chef. Because on the surface, <coughs> uh, like on TV, media, all this, mm. it looks glamorous. Uh, yeah. You get, I mean, you'll be a your business owner in a hawker and then break the trend. Like it's no longer a uncle auntie kind of job. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think also the, the entrance of uh, the Michelin Guide uh, to Singapore also mm. kind of uh, you know pushes people to want to strive for, for these things as well because now that now there's accolade uh, that might come to even hawker centres proven that there are now two hawker centres with the Michelin stuff so, um, I guess uh, well people with people who start off with a limited budget um, or people who have a limited budget um, but still want to pursue these dreams will probably have to start out from a hawker centre because it's quite hard to just jump into like uh, owning a restaurant right away. For Sean and Chasin, hawker centres as a home takes on a whole new meaning. It isn't just about the food that they cook, but the relationships they form with their team. I was amazed by the insider perspective Joey, Sean and Chasin offered on the hawker scene. The hawker centre was a part of their lives as much as it was a part of mine. Yet, it holds a very different value in our eyes. Back to my lunch at Bedok Food Centre. My family and I have bought our food and gathered back at a table near the Hawker Centre's atrium. This may be a public place, but it feels like our dining room at home. The main difference is, everyone gets to eat what they want. We all have different preferences when it comes to food. At home, my dad loves my mom's curry, but my brother doesn't like it. Some days I want Chinese food, while my mom craves Malay food. At the hawker centre, this isn't a concern. Sometimes, we have to raise our voices to be heard over the ruckus, but that's fine I guess. Somehow, when we gather at a table and chat over our food, the background noise doesn't matter anymore. We form our own bubble, while the bustle of the hawker centre blurs around us. This is where we would get together and share stories, just like in our very own dining room. After having our food, we buy a few cups of sugarcane juice and a Malay sweet called kuih. It's for my grandparents, the reason we first visited this food centre and keep returning. I remembered a few years ago, they asked us to pick up sugarcane juice and kuih for them. The request surprised us at the time, but they explained that these foods reminded them of their younger days when such food was a common part of their lives. They just wanted a little taste of nostalgia. Regardless of whether it's traditional or hip, the Hawker Centre remains the heart and soul of our nation. From every perspective, it brings about a sense of warmth that reminds us of home. When transposed into a foreign city, it gives Singaporeans abroad a chance to catch up like old friends. For others with a passion for cooking, it's where memories of family are rekindled and relationships are forged. For my grandparents, it offers a taste of the past. And for me, the Hawker Centre embodies my family's intimate moments of huddling together around a table, never running out of good food or stories to share. Hawker centers are one of Singapore's most distinctive features. Visitors and residents alike praise them for their variety, quality, convenience, and affordability. 
Whether at the scale of the neighborhood or the nation, Hawker Centers are institutions deeply embedded in the social and built landscape. They're a place to hang out, to meet friends and family, to grab a quick bite, and to take away a meal for a family of picky eaters. As Rada makes clear, they're also a way for stall owners to make a living and for young entrepreneurs to try their hand at running a restaurant. It should come as no surprise then that Hawker Centers have been a popular research topic by students in my class looking for sites associated with home. Some of my favorites have explored how Singaporeans abroad associate Hawker Centers with the nation as home, and how Hawker Centers are sites of social reproduction for stall owners. My favorite anecdote came from a third-generation stall owner who told my students about the difficulty her parents faced while raising children and running a stall. They had no choice but to use the Hawker Center as daycare, which she remembered this way. I remember sleeping in front of the refrigerator during parts of the day while my mom would tie my sister to the table for her safety. For this stall owner, now in her 30s, the Hawker Center is clearly more than a workplace. It's a site that stirs childhood memories and reminds her of the sacrifices her family made in pursuit of a better life. Hawker Centers tie together Singapore's past, present, and future. How they will adjust to the changing times remains unclear, but their centrality to everyday life and a Singaporean sense of home hints that Hawker Centers will continue to serve as the nation's dining room for years to come. The Heart of This episode first aired in 2018 and was written and produced by Rauda. Stanley Chow engineered both the original and edited versions. Thanks again to Joey, Sean, and Jiaxin for sharing their experiences cooking in the trenches. Thanks also to Professor Pao and Dr. Hamza Muzaini for their expert insights on hawker centers. Finally, thanks to Weiling, Kylie, and Fang Yi for the paper that inspired the original episode. Before we finish, I want to give a shout out to some of our faithful listeners, including Ian in Singapore and Megan in Omaha, Nebraska. I also want to share some quick updates. Since this episode first aired, Rauda, Stanley, and Joey have all graduated from NUS. Rauda is happily employed in the public sector, Stanley is about to move to a new job, and Joey operates a food truck in Tokyo, selling one of Singapore's most common hawker center dishes, chicken rice. You can find some photos of his rolling workplace on our website. If you want to learn more about hawker centers, you can catch the National Heritage Board's upcoming webinar series on Singapore's hawker culture, the first session will take place on Zoom on Tuesday, 8th of January, 2021, from 2 to 4 p.m. Singapore time. According to the National Heritage Board, the session will explore how food, people, and places associated with hawker culture can play a role in promoting community identity and fostering intercultural understanding and appreciation in Singapore's context. We have posted the National Heritage Board webinar registration link on our homepage, tinyurl.com slash home on the dot. You can also find that information on Facebook. Just search for home on the dot. As always, thank you for listening. The entire home on the dot family wishes you a happy, healthy, safe, and prosperous new year.